Today's episode is brought to you by Dugal. A legendary photo lab is now at your fingertips. ShopDugal.com is the expanded online storefront of Dugal Visual Solutions, a leader and innovator in printing for over 50 years. At ShopDugal.com, you now have instant access to world-class printing solutions for pigment prints to acrylic prints to canvas prints to metal prints to everything you might need. It's all there. And even better, you don't have to use one of those awful rose applications in order to submit your orders. You can do it right over the web browser. They also ship ground for free. I want you to give Dugal your best work and so that they can give you theirs. Find out more at shopdugal.com slash master. That's S-H-O-P-D-U-G-G-A-L dot com slash master. And use promo code master at checkout to get 25% off your first order. Welcome to Latitude Photography Podcast. And today we're going to talk about where I'm going. I'm going to Hong Kong and China in August. And to help me plan this trip is Mia Beals from Guilin, excuse me, Guilin Photography Tours.com. Mia, welcome to the show. Oh, hello. Thank you, Brent. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, you bet. I'm so glad you're here. This is going to be a fantastic conversation. It's good to have you here to help me plan for this hopefully epic trip that I'll be taking in just a few short weeks. I can't believe how crazy it has been planning this trip. I started off by thinking I'd only fill up my time with Hong Kong. And basically, you know, Hong Kong, to me, it's kind of got that Western feel, uh, fairly strong Western feel since it had the the British influence for so long. And so it feels a little more comfortable uh, in a certain way. Plus, I've also been there, although it was eons ago now. But I'm also looking to go to China. And with China, that's something that I think I need a little bit more structure, at least for my first time there. Usually I like to just go and wander a place and just have that vagabond kind of sort of feel. Uh, but when I'm in China, I was like, you know, I'm not sure I can afford to do that because it's just so different. It'll be nice to have someone who's, you know, either been there or knows people who've been there, that kind of a thing. And that's where you come in, Mia. So I'm really mm-hmm. glad to to have you here. Um, now, you know, Mia, I was thinking, we had talked before, I was originally looking to head to uh, Daytian Falls, which is on the border with uh, Vietnam, but I did wasn't finding a lot of convenient transit options. I could have hired a private car. That was really expensive. But in looking at that and just not being sure I could get back to catch my flight home, that led me to Guilin, and mm-hmm. which is just a couple of hours north of Hong Kong via bullet train. We have to cross over into Shenzhen and then get the bullet train there. But then it's just like two and a half, maybe three hours north of of Hong Kong there. So tell us a bit about your Guilin photography tours, what type of tours you offer, how you got started, all that kind of stuff. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I would say about Hong Kong, actually, that, yes, it is very um, convenient to come to Guilin from there. There's even direct flights if you just have a layover or something. And there's also 72-hour um, visa-free. You can go for 72 hours without a visa in some instances. So it depends. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we started calling photography tours about um, six years ago now. Um, we were living in Guilin already for a few years. Uh, we moved there from UK. I'm from Finland. My husband's from UK, but I lived there for uh, lived in UK for several years. And um, so we moved to Guilin because our good friend lived there, and okay. we went to study Chinese. We are both fluent in Chinese and also read and write. Uh, now <laughs> it took some time, but uh, we uh, studied full time a couple of years, and then just you know spending time with the locals and um, chatting with some old ladies and things like that really helped with the language. So 
um, you know, that's how we started. Um, the way we started the tours was um, I was working as a medical manager. I'm a pediatric nurse by training. I was working, working as a volunteer medical manager in an orphanage run by an Australian family and uh, supported by actually a U.S. charity. And um, from there, I had to take photos of the kids often because we had supporters who needed photos, uh, current photos of the kids. And you know how kids are. They always say don't work with kids or animals. So, you know, yeah. they're running and um, usually the rooms were quite dark because of lots of babies and with medical conditions. So I learned um, to take photos in very challenging situations basically for that. And um, and then when that charity had to close and, and the kids um, were either adopted or went to other organizations, then we started calling photography tours um, because we realized that there wasn't really anything like it, that nothing that we would want to take part in in the whole area. Sure. And Gordon is just so amazing. It's just got such variety. It's got mountains. It's got the rivers. And um, and then the famous rice terraces, which are amazing. And there's also tribal people who live there. So it's just like within three, four hours, you can just drive to so many places that um, it felt such a shame that no one was offering a service um, that was geared for photographers, which is um, from early morning, like, I don't know, 3 a.m. normally, sure. until very late, like 9 p.m. after after sunset. So there was nothing like that. So that's how we started. Great. Now, how do you start? Maybe this is something that's going down a rabbit hole, but how do you start a business in China when you're you're from the UK, you're working there for an Australian orphanage. Uh, how do you, <laughs> that just, there's something there that it seems it would be very, you know, monumentous uh, you know, of an occasion to say, Hey, let's just do this. How, yeah. how does that happen? Um, well, my husband, Andy, he's, um, when I was working as the uh, volunteer in a volunteer position, he was working for um, local uh, travel companies, um, giving them support and advice and training their guides in what the Western people want, um, mm. because it's a very different mindset, very different. Yes. And uh, he's also got IT background. So that's why he knows a lot about SEO creating his own websites. He's been doing that for years and years. So it was actually quite easy for him to start a, um, a website. And then we just developed it quite quickly, actually, and uh, then got our first clients, um, took them around, you know, um, asked them, what would you like? What else would you like to do? How can we um, progress? And then that's how it started, really. So it, it doesn't sound like... Um, it was easy, but in some ways, because it's such a beautiful place, it was easy because the place sells itself in a way. And we just wanted to provide a really, really good service that we would like. And we kind of like to think all our clients are like friends of our parents or friends of friends, sure. you know, depending on the age. So we try to um, treat them like that, really give awesome. them the best we can. Well, yeah, the the area in my readings, I was finding that Guilin is or was the first place to develop tourism after the cultural revolution. So that was like back in the fifties or sixties or whatever, as far mm -hmm. as they're developing tourism. And, and after looking at some of the pictures from the area, I'm thinking, well, I can understand why I can see how mm -hmm. anyone, if you have a, an appreciation for the natural landscape and unique landscapes, this is definitely the place to go. 
Yeah, it's also very famous in China because there was a guy, I can't remember his name now, but hundreds of years ago, he traveled to Guilin in, into the area and he wrote a book. You could call it a first travel uh, lonely planet. And right. uh, it described the different areas of Guilin and the, on the Li River, certain places. And uh, Chinese children learn those places at school. They learn about them, their names, and it's very important that they see them if they can. Uh, so it that's why partially why it was one of the first places that was developed. Sure. That totally makes sense. And now they have the high-speed trains that come in. There's like, what, two or three different train stations right in the area. Yes. You've got a, yeah, an airport. Four, four. four okay. Mm-hmm. You've got an airport right there. So the infrastructure is definitely set up for getting there conveniently, getting around conveniently. And that probably yes. also means things are a little more expensive than other places. Was, would you say that? Yes. Um, Gordon is... We went to um, Yunnan recently, and um, it was so much cheaper over there. So, yes, there's definitely a different price tag for things in Guilin area that um, is just how it is because it is so popular and has been for years and years. Now, with that said, I was still able to easily find a hotel for less than $40 a night. And Mm -hmm. so I'm pretty pleased with that, you know, that level. Of course, you could stay at the Sheraton or anything else like that and pay mm-hmm. boatloads more, but that's totally not my style. I definitely would rather go myself yeah. a lot cheaper. There's lots of hotels now, uh, so there's a lot of competition, which is very beneficial for people who are coming because um, it's just been mushrooming everywhere, hotels, and we only recommend those that we know are good, where the cleanliness is good and the beds are good. So I'll, I'll personally go, not sleep in them, but I'll go and test the bed oh, nice. to see that it's soft enough because the uh, Chinese market doesn't like soft beds. Oh. Um, they prefer having a lot harder than, I would say, it's like almost like sleeping on the floor. Um, carpet floor. So, um, yeah, we test them and we check that they've got uh, Western toilets and, you know, things like that that you wouldn't think about necessarily. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I should, you know, after we're done recording, send you my, or talk about my uh, hotel that I'm at and maybe I can change or something. Cause if I don't get a good <laughs> night's rest, that would definitely be, uh, oof, that could be trouble. Yeah. It's because you don't often have more than, I don't know, four or five hours. It's even more important that you have a good, good bed. For Ex- exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly. So some other questions I have for you, and that is, as a vegetarian, are there good options for me or will I be hunting for them for eating? No, there's good options. Um, the only thing that you might need to uh, take notice of is that sometimes dishes that appear that they are vegetarian, like certain eggplant dishes that are popular in Yangshou area, actually have pork mince on them. So it might look like, oh, it's going to be completely vegetarian. It looks like that from the picture. But if you don't know, it does actually contain meat. But you, there's lots of choices, lots of uh, different things, um, a pumpkin, lots of, um, yeah, just pumpkin is one of the local um, things that are very popular. So okay. you, you'll be okay. Okay, good. Yeah, I was looking also, it, it even said in Hong Kong, the guidebook was saying something about uh, the broth that they use, even though everything else is just noodles and veggies, mm-hmm. it's still going to be a beef-based broth. And I was like, uh. yes. <laughs> but Yeah, if there's a broth in any dish, it's definitely going to have meat in it. I don't think anyone does vegetable-based broths. Okay. So I would stay away from any soup. Okay, good, good advice. Thank you. So we talked about how well-developed it is, but I'm curious to know, 
for photographers who might be looking for a quote, you know, off the beaten path kind of experience, mm. does Guilin offer that? And I should say, does Guilin offer that? Because I'm pronouncing it incorrectly when I say Guilin. <laughs> no, it's correct. Um, Guilin does offer that in that um, the roads are busy because okay. it's well developed. But then when you get off them, you know, we've taken our friends to places, they are locals who live in the area and they've never been to those places. So, um, there are definitely uh, off the beaten track kind of uh, locations, but if you look at um, can you go hours and hours without seeing people, then um, probably not because it is so it's very fertile and um, rice grows well, well there and it's been famous for hundreds of years. So it is right. very densely populated. Well, and with roughly 1.3 billion people in China, you're going to run into people. How about if I were to put it in the case of could I go if I were to take your one day tour? Can I can mm. I go you know hours at a time without seeing another tourist? Oh, for tourists, yeah, okay. I'm talking about locals, and yeah, you can go without seeing other tourists on our tours for sure. Because um, that totally to... that would be like awesome, just mm. you know being in a, in a nice place like that, but still interaction with the locals, photographing locals, perfect. You know, in, in my book anyway, that would be perfect kind of stuff. Mm. Yeah, it's just um, there's going to be people. And um, the other thing is that off the beaten track means so different things to different people. Sure. And that's partially we just um, last year we started on another website, which is um, which we linked to so that we can find out more about people if they want to tell us, um, which is called um, What's Your Travel Style? Mm. Um, and there's questions that are asked that, we can check, you know, are you happy to have a cup of tea with the locals or would you be happy to have a full meal or would you even want to sleep in a local's home? So there's different levels of um, what people are happy to do depending on their previous life experiences and yeah, just where they have been before. And we have had people who, for whom off the beaten track would be going to a, a war zone in Africa mm. and places like that. So, and then there's like people who maybe travel once a year and and would find just going um, to a local's home would be um, considered off the beaten track. So yeah. it just means different things for different people. So this is in connection with the com website or is this a completely separate website? It's a completely different website. But um, when I send people um, replies to their uh, inquiries, then um, it has a link to... Um, to ask that and people actually have really liked it because um, it gives a feeling that we really want to know more about them before we design because sure. all our tours are designed for each person so okay. the more we know about the person the more the better tool we can decide design for them oh because that would be amazing staying with some local folks out in a small village or whatever I could see that mm. being really enticing. That, the only be awesome. thing with that is that it can't be for everyone because um, you sure. really need to um, legally, you have to go and register at a local police station every yeah. time as a foreigner. Right. Um, so when you check in a hotel, they do that for you. Whereas if you're staying in a local's home, you have to go and um do it yourself, which can take time. So it depends on how much time. If you're just on a day tour, then possibly you don't want to do that. Yeah, it doesn't work. So, and sometimes it's okay. Sometimes the villagers know the local police, and they're happy with that people to stay. So it just depends on uh, situations and where you are. And yeah. Okay, excellent. Back to food and the like. 
I kind of imagine standard precautions would apply with with regards to street food or drinking water, putting ice mm -hmm. in your soda, that kind of a thing. Basically, just don't do that. Or yeah, how, how would, would you say, characterize that? Yeah, I would say uh, don't put ice in your drinks, even in McDonald's. Okay. Um, maybe five star hotel might be you know okay. I have had um, a cold drink like that a couple of times in the place where I know the owner and I know he has this filtering system. Okay. Uh, which makes the water safe and he makes the ice with that. So you just need to be very well in the know. But I, I'd even take my uh, cochrane, sorry, I probably shouldn't say the name McDonald's, but oh, um, I even take my drink uh, without ice in there just in case. And street food, yes, I would stay away from that. Um, probably some vegetarian options might be okay if they're very, very hot. Yeah. Noodles often are okay. Um, because they are boiling hot as well. But if there's anything that's meat and you're not sure if it's cooked through, then I would um, stay away from that. And what about safety? You mentioned, you know, if you want to stay with a local or even if you're in a hotel, they'll register you with the, the local police. But, you know, with me going over there or any of my listeners that might be wanting to go over there, what beside beyond any standard travel precautions, you know, just being aware and that kind of a thing. Is there is there a noticeable issue there or is it still because they're no. so popular? It's really not yes. a big deal. Yeah, no, it's definitely not a big deal, especially for foreign visitors. I've never felt unsafe okay. as a female alone in Guilin even. And um, th there's a, a sense of police being there, but they're usually traffic police. Mm. Because they are really ramping up the traffic um, safety and they are watching that people are doing what they're supposed to. They're following the rules. And whereas in the past, it wasn't a really, no one was adhering to the rules much. So mm. now they are just giving a presence so that um, so that people will, uh, for example, turn the right way in a, and not turn around in the wrong place and nice. things like that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and the same thing on Lee River as well. There's uh, recently been there was an accident, a boating accident um, with locals, which where several people died, and that has ramped up the safety and um, security that the river police is um, sort of keep an eye out, and um, it means that some places we can't go to anymore because you can't go on the river after um say 6 30 or it depends on mm, the time of the year but so yeah so it has a big effect but these things also alter um with time so next year it might be completely different so um, sure it just depends mm -hmm. yeah but it is very safe okay great that's good I noticed that there's in my reading i noticed that there's a market that goes till something like 2 a.m Mm -hmm. It's right there in uh, the town of Guayland. What's that like? Is it just a bunch of tourist junk or is there some really interesting things there? Um, it is geared at the visitors for sure. Um, there's lots of local um, eateries. So you can, because for Chinese people, food is very, very important. So they want to taste all the local foods and specialities. So there's a lot of food there and also gifts that you can take to your family. And the usual things that you would find in other um, shops in, in China are geared at visitors. But it is really a buzzing place. And it, because it's on some local streets, makes it more interesting because okay. the locals come sometimes out. And uh, you can see people sometimes in their pajamas. It's a, it's a Chinese thing that um, you often go after you relaxed at home, you had a shower, and then you come out in your pajamas to have oh an evening snack. 
So it can be very interesting just to uh, wander around and look at people. Wow. Um, but yeah, it's not really like, um, also there's lots of fruit and snacks, but it's not really uh, for locals as such, except to have an evening snack. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Whenever I see someone, I go to the mall or whatever, Walmart, and I see someone in their pajamas, I just, mm. I tend to shake my head <laughs> and just like, why? But, yeah. you know, this is more of a, a accepted cultural norm kind of thing. It sounds very yes, interesting. I, I would love to see that. Now, there's another market I think I was reading about in just, just south of Guilin is a town called Yangshu. I'm not sure mm-hmm. if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yangshu. Okay. Is, yes. is that market any different? Is it the same? You know, what's the, it, it kind of seemed like it might be different when, when I was reading in the yes. guidebook, but. Yes, it is. I mean, Yangshu is, Yangshu um, market is every day, but it is for locals to buy their meat, vegetables, um, anything they need, uh, any small items. And also um, often people come from the countryside, not so much in the Yangshu and there are other local areas where they don't have the market every day. It's every three days. And it varies according to where, which village. So, for example, in Fuli, it's um, any date that ends in two, five and eight, um, they would have a market. And those smaller markets tend to have more local people from the countryside who come and sell um, some vegetables or herbs, perhaps some medicine, local um, Chinese medicine. Uh, so those are a little bit more interesting in that way. As the young show one tends to be just the, you know, um, a little bit like supermarket, but in a market environment. Okay. And then there's also a town called Daksu. Dashu, yes. Dashu. And that is a, they call it an ancient town. Is that mm-hmm. something that's part of your one day tour? It can be. It can be, um, okay. It, yeah, because of the direction, uh, they have made the road a lot better now. You can actually go from there to um, the area where the comrade fishermen are. So often people, if they're having a one-day tour, they want to see the fishermen. And then it is possible to combine that. But because of the driving distances, if you want to have a morning on the sun, uh, on a mountaintop sunrise, then uh, it could be that there's just not enough time or you might spend a lot of your day in a car. Yeah. So it just depends on what people's priorities are, what they would like to see. But definitely we have done um, even, yeah, definitely on a day tour with Andashu. It's an interesting place in that as um, one of the only places where they have a whole street, a very long old street which is almost unchanged. There are some newer buildings, but very few. Mm-hmm. And even an old bridge, ancient bridge. So cool. yes, it is very, very interesting. So tell me more about this one day tour. You know, there's one side of it you had mentioned, you know, you try and do as much as you can to tailor it individually to what the person is interested mm-hmm. in. Um, but you also have a, a basic description of what's possible on your website. Yes. And so if that's the that's the kind of thing that we're looking at, just, t- you know, kind of take me through if I go with your one day tour, you know, what would you and we've talked uh, via mm-hmm. email uh, before we're talking here now. Yes. Uh, have you come up with anything that you might recommend specifically for me? Well, uh, because the um, the time that you're coming is August and the Lee River can be very low. It depends on the rain. Okay. amount um, in the summer but it can be quite low so that affects the uh, river locations which are good for photography and the direction of the sun and uh, so I would probably say that 
if you want to do a riverside location, it might be best to do that in the morning. Yeah. And um, because it's just where the sunrise is best this that time of year. Okay. And then um, depending on, you said you wanted to see some local people. So then go from there, have a, possibly a local breakfast and then continue from there to um, to see some local people that we know in their homes, traditional homes. And there is um, the mountain that Jim went on, uh, Jim Harmer, who you know, and yeah. he really liked it. So it's um, possible to also see that in the morning before okay. you go, go around, or you can have it for a sunset in the evening. So we haven't really discussed the details of what, what you, how you see the day happening. So. Yeah, but boy. It depends. there's only there's only one place where you can cross the river in Yangshuo, only one bridge, and then okay. the next place is in Guilin. So it's an hour and a half, kind of minimum, um, driving round time just to wow. get across the river wow. because just there's no need to go across the river anywhere else because the villages are so small on both sides, so they never built one. So it just uh, affects how much you can fit in one day. Uh, let's go back to that mountain that you had mentioned. Uh, describe that a little mm. bit more for me, because in one sense, I really love the idea of getting on top or I assume it's on top of a mountain. You climb up yes. on the top of the yes, mountain and, you, and you're overlooking the, the landscape there. Mm-hmm. Doing that at sunset sounds amazing. Yeah, it is one of the most amazing places. I've had so many people say it was their favorite place on the whole trip. Um, it's because it's so interesting because with a long lens, you could shoot um, to distance towards the mountains. And every day is different because, um, you know, if there's a bit of cloud, then you might get light rays. So we usually try to get there early, a um, couple of hours before sunset. So that, um, you know, if that happens, usually it's about an hour and a half before sunset. You get the light rays just to be sure that if there is a chance of that, you you can see it and photograph it. And it's almost, um, it's over 180 degree view, really. So Mm, you can get some really awesome panoramas. It sounds awesome. um, Yeah. And that's uh, the location where some years ago, about four years ago, Trey Ratcliffe came. Um, He's an American photographer that now Uh lives in New Zealand. He came to Guilin and uh, we took him to that mountain. Back in the day, it didn't have uh, steps at all to go up. It was just a path and we had to cut our way with a knife kind of thing. Oh, my. Um, but so we went there and he took um, his panorama, which he's um, and, you know, had a lot of good feedback on since then. And um, since then, there's been uh, steps being built by the local people because it became very popular, and which is really good because now more people can experience it. It was very dangerous to go up there. Um, you know, if it was raining at all, then you couldn't come down and safely because it was so muddy and the ro- rocks are very, very sharp. Mm. So um, go- on the way up was better, but coming down was could yeah. be quite tricky if it was wet. So it's much better now. You can get there safely. Now, is this the same scene where we have the river kind of coming in in the foreground and it kind of loops around a little bit? Uh, yeah, it's like a Y-shaped two rivers meeting okay. and a mountain in the middle. Yes. Oh, perfect. Yes, <laughs> I think I need to have that for the, uh, for the sunset. But I, I'm conflicted because initially I had mentioned I don't want to do the, um, the cormorant fisherman. Is it possible to mm. do the fisherman in the morning? 
Yes. Uh, actually, uh, this time of year, I would say that morning is better because yeah, of okay. the direction of the sun and the how low the river could be. Um, it can be okay, but it just depends on the rain, which is impossible to fully of um, sort of uh, say whether it will be high enough or not. So I would say the morning would be better. Also, the location is much calmer and the reflection is better in August. Cool. Yeah, so it sounds to me like doing that in the morning, having a local breakfast, as long as it's with people you know are fixing, yes. you know, shall I say good food. But mm -hmm. what I mean by that is healthy and not going to make put me in the hospital food. Yes. Um, back in 2002, when I was in India, I spent a weekend in a hospital because I ate some food mm. that a local told me was fine. And she was actually a nurse at the hospital oh, uh, that goodness. we were visiting. And she's like, oh, yeah, it's fine. And I went and trusted her and I paid for it. Often the locals don't quite get it that it's safe for them, but it's not safe for someone who's coming exactly. to the area. It's all new. So, yeah, it can be very different. Yeah. What about other areas in that region? Like if a photographer really wanted to see everything, how mm -hmm. many days could you fill, would you think? Well, um, in Kuelin, Longji and Yangshuo area, I'd say that a week you could see all the places once but sometimes people want to have uh, two chances in case of weather right. and then you could continue from there to Guizhou which is another very uh, the next province where we also have a team um, that area is more it's very mountainous 90% of the whole province is mountains mm. so it sounds great for the landscape, but actually it's so difficult to get any kind of angle because the mountains are just everywhere. Yeah. And so it actually isn't good for landscape, but it's great for people photography, especially okay. if there's any local festivals or because the locals are very well known for their silverworking skills. And the ladies in these uh, festivals, they wear amazing um, silver jewelry all covered in it. And uh, headdresses and also during those times uh, the young people return to the villages and then that means that there's more people around whereas uh, if you just go in between times it can be that all the young people are in towns working so you might not meet anyone of uh, between sort of 20 and 40 you just meet old people and children hmm. so um, that can be really nice as well if you like people photography and yeah. that would be like another four days and oh my yeah so yeah it could really fill quite the itinerary for people that are just saying show me everything mm. i always ask people when they say show me everything i want to know first what is your main what would you really <laughs> uh think oh no i miss that you know is it people yeah. is it is it landscape is it um some architecture some people are really interested in local architecture so yeah. then we focus a little bit more during the daytime on those so it just depends on what What's your um, what you love the most? You mentioned something when you said this other province. You mentioned something how you have a team there. So tell me about mm -hmm. your teams. It, it sounds like you you have locals that you work with. Is that the the, the case? Yes. yes, we started going photography tour tours first, and then after. Um, people who had been with us had started to say, oh, we want to go somewhere else with you because, you know, they really like the way we run our tours. Um, but we didn't have anywhere else. So then now the last three years we've been developing um, local tour, local um, guides that we have um, met and interviewed and traveled with in certain areas that are very photogenic in China. And so we started a new company called Gatsby Travel. 
um, because of that, because you can't obviously call the company Golden Photography Tour if it's somewhere else. Yes. So then, um, so then we started this one in, in Guizhou, and then Yunnan is another one, northern Yunnan, also uh, Yellow Mountains. Okay. And Zhangjiajie. Zhangjiajie is the place where the Avatar movie got its uh, sort of inspiration, the mountain design. Okay. So Gatsby Travel, that is exclusively China still. That's not taking people anywhere else. It's still China. Yeah, we are developing also. We got two um, very good guides, one in Cambodia and one in Myanmar as well and in Hanoi. But we haven't really sort of fully designed those tours. So we're still holding back until we are absolutely happy with the design and, and the team. So we're just holding back probably next year. Uh, those will be coming out. Sounds like the perfect situation of, you know, what to do with life, you know, just <laughs> help people see these beautiful locations. Oh, that's just yeah. so, so wonderful. That's awesome. And Very it's cool. so lucky that both of us, you know, my husband and I, we both love photography. Often the, I've discovered that often the um, issue can be when designing trips or your holidays is that one of you is a photographer and the other isn't. And it can be very hard. Um, so it's excellent. You know, we can be, we've been in Iceland on eight hours on one peninsula just shooting together because we just loved cool. it so much. And neither of us was, um, you know, in a rush to leave or wanting yeah. to go and have a cup of tea or anything. So it's really a blessing that we can both, you know, share the uh, passion that we have. Awesome. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, that's one thing my wife is frequently and willing to just say goodbye because while she likes the adventure and she likes the trip and all that stuff, it's mm. not as hardcore, I guess you could say, as my enjoyment of yes. of it. So, so it works out fine because we have four kids that also need to be uh, wow. not, not without their parents. So... Tell me a little bit about the rice fields. I know there's some towns there, and in the guidebook, I almost exclusively use Lonely Planet, but um, mm -hmm. in the different websites and the guidebook I was reading, they're talking about actually being able to hike from town to town. How mm -hmm. easy is that to do, especially if I'm just by myself? Um, there are sections that are easy to do by yourself. Um, but there is one that's the most famous hike, which is between Pingan and Dajai villages or Tendozai. And that there are a few places where you can get a little lost. Um, just recently, I met a lady in the middle. There's a village in the middle called Zhongliu. And I was visiting some of my friends there. And I met this lady who was on her own, didn't speak a word of Chinese. And of course, the locals don't speak any English at all. Yeah. And she was trying to figure out where, which way to go. And I said, it's getting dark in two hours. And, you know, um, I think you'll need at least three hours to get there. So, um so she was a little bit lost. So in the end, I encouraged her to come with me in the car and just drive to the village because I was going there anyway, um, because it just wasn't safe to leave her there. So it's just that one section, which is a little bit tricky. You'd probably need to hire a local person. They don't need to speak English. Um, you know, they probably ask you, they know a few words and then they'll ask you, do you need a guide and say the name of the place and then they'll take you there. So it is possible to do it that way on your own. And uh, another one from Ping'an to um, Guzhuan Jai, which is the ancient Chuang village, is easy. That's very well marked, so that's definitely doable on your own. And then from uh, Tiantou Zai to Da Jai is another one very easy. Uh, just follow the roads, it's very well marked. Uh, I don't know why the Ping'an to Tiantou Zai isn't um, better marked, but um, it just isn't. So, And also, it's a nice hike, but... 
for photography, it isn't the best because they haven't really been cultivating the fields along there because all the young people have left the village to work outside. So there's mm. not enough young people to cultivate the further away fields. So it's only those okay. that are near the village are are actually rice fields. Okay. And I'm I'm looking, as you're saying these, I'm looking for these town names on my Google Maps. And they must mm. be really small towns because I'm not finding them on Google Maps. Yes, they are very small. Okay. And also difficult to, to write. Lots of Zs and Hs and things together. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. This this will be a, a challenge. Because what I was thinking of was um, I'm still looking at my budget and I'm not sure exactly what I can what I can do while, while I'm there in China. But mm-hmm. hiring a private car to just take me up to that area for the day was something like $100 or so, maybe 150 Yeah. And so that seems reasonable. But mm-hmm. then I'm like, well... Okay, that gets me there when I want to be there. And it's, yeah. you know, I'm there as long as I want to be. Because obviously I could take the bus and spend like $3 to get there. But yeah, yeah. I want to be there early. So yeah. I'm willing to spend the money to be there early. But then it's all like, hmm, what about this? What about that? And I need to be able to go from one place to the other. And I'm happy to hike it. It's just, yeah. again, I don't want to get lost, like you're saying. Uh, yeah. So this will be a challenge as I continue this planning yeah. Uh, trying to go through what you just said and <laughs> equate those with the sites on the map. Yeah, that's the um, the l- maps are usually not uh, comprehensive. Yeah. They give you an idea. But, um, for example, in Yangshou, some of the cycling maps are very um, inaccurate in as, as to how long things take. Oh, okay. I've lost count of how many times I've met people on the road who say, oh, you know, we came on a half day by themselves on a half day cycling tour and the sun setting and they're still like four hours drive away because they just didn't realize oh. how far places are because they just looked at the map and I thought, oh, it looks really close. Yeah. But then, of course, the, the road squiggles and um, maybe they got a bit lost. So, yeah, things are not always as close as they look on maps, especially in China. China is a huge country and yeah. the distances are so vast. Yeah, and that's where I started thinking, well, maybe what I'll do is I'll have the, the driver take me to this town and then I'll walk maybe 15 mm-hmm. minutes out of town. I'll come back and then I'll go to the next town and maybe I'll play it safe and do it that way. Yeah, that would uh, be that probably would be the safer way to do it. Okay, sounds good. Might there be anything specific about my journey uh, that I should look out for? For instance, I'm looking to take the MTR from Hong Kong to Shenzhen. And mm-hmm. then from Shenzhen, take it up to the North Railway Station, and then the bullet yeah. train on to, on into Guilin. To me, it seems straightforward, but you know, as someone who's probably done that a million times comparatively yes. to me, anyway, what should I be looking out for? Are things just going to take longer at the um, at the border checkpoint than yes. you, you know the than the guidebook is telling me and and all that? Yeah, it's um. There are certain times you should avoid, like, for example, around midday, because the school kids go across the border then and there are a lot longer queues during that time. So um, there's lots of kids go to Hong Kong to school from Shenzhen. Really? Okay. And then they return. So um, I would say you can't take the MTR all the way through. You have to go, obviously, through the border. and And then on the other side, you enter the 
railway or the MTR on the other side, their MTR right. system, and then you take that to um, the Shenzhen North station. And for that, you need to buy like this, um, I think it's 5 yuan, the local money, 5 yuan. And uh, you buy this like a token, and okay. that's what you use to pay to get across. It can take a little bit of time because they're checking your luggage. Uh, I mean, you have to go through the, um, it's like being on an airport, really. really? Nowadays, okay. you have to go through a checkup and... Um, not that anyone really seems to look, look, no one's ever stopped, but they still want you to put your bag through the um, metal detector and whatever huh. x-ray. Um, so it just takes a little bit longer than you might think. And also the signage is not brilliant. Sometimes a lot of um, Chinese writing and a very small English, if anything. Okay. Um, I was very surprised to see how few English signs there are, even in the very new railway stations. But it is possible, you know, you just follow like, you know, where roughly people are going. Usually it's the, you know, the main direction of of travel. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. And, and, and just bring my map along, I guess, and just I can point and say, this is where yeah. I want to go kind of a thing. And maybe yeah. hopefully I can find someone that can help me. Yeah, exactly. There's loads of like, you know, security guards that look like they're police, but they're actually security guards. And you can always ask them, you okay. know, show them your ticket. Um, if you have to ch um, pick up your ticket, if you haven't received it in the post to your hotel, then um, reserve a little bit more time because foreigners can't use the machines that would uh, allow you to uh, sort of um, okay. get the ticket from a machine because they only accept Chinese ID. So you always have to queue to get your ticket from the ticket booth, even yeah. if you booked it in advance. Yeah, I was looking Just at booking. Just give enough time. Okay. I was looking at booking in advance online and then... Uh, they mention that if you're not in Hong Kong, that you'll just pick it up at the at the station when you're there. Yes, I was like, okay, that, <clears throat> that's fine. I'll mm -hmm. just bring my receipt, and you know, it sounds like they have it figured out pretty good. That's fine. So that's what I was planning on doing. But yeah, if that line gets pretty long, that I could see that potentially taking a while. Are they going to be concerned with me taking uh, two cameras? I'll have two. Two DSLR cameras, uh, probably four lenses on me. Is that going to be something where people are going to, you know, as I cross the border, especially, they're going to look at me strange or? No, we've never had a problem with that. Somebody recently asked me, they said their friend said that people think that you're a reporter, but we've never had an issue with that. Okay. Um, even a drone is okay. So as okay. long as it's not one of those really big ones, even a right. small drone is usually okay. Okay. I found too that my my credentials as a university professor can sometimes help. Mm. <laughs> People are like, "Oh, you're a professor." Yeah. Uh, yes. I was like, "Well, okay, yes, I am." Uh, mm -hmm. Especially internationally, it, it it seems to get yeah. a little bit of I don't want to say yeah, respect, people, but that's the only word yeah, I'm, I'm coming up with respect that I don't necessarily ever anticipate or expect. It's just like all of a sudden when they hear that, it's like especially. When you're on the train, you're on the airplane, whatever, those types is what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's they're just glad you're there and welcome. Mm -hmm. Have a good day. That kind of a thing. They're a little more nicer. Yeah. Uh, and China, so they, the people are very um, appreciative of higher education. So I'm sure okay. you'll get very good treatment. OK, uh, <laughs> maybe I'll play that card then. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> yeah, Who knows? I have a university card. Yes, my business card and whatever else. I, I wasn't planning on bringing a university shirt, but I guess I could. But anyway, I, I won't go too overboard with it. So help me understand, you know, your service, your your one day tour is what I'm you know, going to focus on here with this question. For lack of a better description, it's not cheap. 
but it is is probably you would probably characterize it as a good investment but you know i've seen some that are they they're advertising it as a photography tour and -hmm. they're 99 dollars I'm pretty sure you have a reason for why yours is more expensive. And I'm just wanting to help my listeners understand you get what you pay for, or maybe you can help me understand I get what I pay for as well. Yeah. Usually the $99 tours, definitely not 16 hours like our tours are. Okay. Or if they they say they go in the morning and they show you in the morning and the evening as well, then in the middle of the day, you are left, you know, to do something in town on your own. Okay. And so for some people, that's what they want. Um, but our tours are full on, you know, um, we fill the day with experiences and you get a lot. I would say, oh, well, actually, a client said that they experienced in one day more than they did um, in a three-day tour with uh, in another city, obviously. But wow. they felt like they got a lot for their, for their money. And the other thing is our our guides are very well trained by us and they can help you with, um, if you need, obviously you wouldn't, but usually people might need help with composition or talking to the models in such a way that they relax. They know the people and um, our guides, nearly all of them carry cameras either given by us or, or bought by themselves. So they understand what a photographer wants in a completely different way to somebody who maybe just not carry a camera at all or yeah. just knows a mountain to go to. Yeah. They're just taking you here and that's all that they're doing. Yeah. Otherwise is what it sounds like. And also uh, in something you mentioned earlier about going to the small villages and the, um, and going to visit people in their traditional mm-hmm. homes. It sounds like that's something that is probably fairly unique to your experience too, because it seems to me what you're saying is the guides know these people. Yes. And Therefore, the photographer is welcomed into the home. It's not exactly. like you're intruding. No. And that's another thing. Sometimes people don't say they don't want to take pictures of people. But what they mean is they don't feel comfortable doing that because they feel like they're um, intruding and not being, um, you know, if you look at street photography, most people right. would think of that when they think of people photography. Right. Whereas this is completely different. It's in a, someone's home where they're comfortable, they're feeling, you know, happy to be photographed. So um, it's a completely different experience. Yeah, that's that's great. I remember doing that in rural India a couple of times. Uh, people would they would just invite me in. You know, I felt mm. I did feel like I was intruding for the first five seconds, but yeah. they actually did a really good job of putting me at ease and saying, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that you're here is amazing. Is is how I interpreted yeah. it. Obviously, there's no language that we could have spoken that was common, but you know, the way I interpreted their actions was. You mean you're interested in me? Holy cow. Sure, go ahead. And, you know, this one lady, she was just sweeping her yard, which was, you know, caked mud, basically, dried and Mm -hmm. and cracked caked mud. Uh, So she was sweeping it. And another lady, uh, it was in her home. She had one light bulb in her home. Uh And she was just as proud as could be. And I was like, awesome. That's that's really sweet. And so it sounds like we might get something similar here in China. Yeah, but China is more developed than uh, than India in many ways, but there are still pockets of um, areas where you kind of feel what the China was like before. Okay. But there is a lot of new buildings because, you know, when you've lived in a mud brick building uh, all your life and then you have a chance to build a modern building which is comfortable and doesn't get damp, uh, in the rainy season, so of course you would take the chance if you possibly sure. can. Yeah. So those uh, sort of old 
mud bricks buildings are disappearing or the wooden buildings in Longji area. They are disappearing, but um, we still know families where they still have the traditional homes and traditional way of uh, cooking and uh, making tofu and um, all those experiences. But it is like like being on a on a treasure hunt in a way and that's what we tried to do is find those experiences and to give them to people just to uh, make them feel how they imagine China to be often it's, sure. it's a little bit of a juxtaposition because China is so modern in some places now and then there are very rural areas with uh, water buffaloes and people still using them to um, till the earth and, and then you go somewhere else and you use massive machines so it's a vast country and there are very different experiences in different parts. I'm also curious, uh, do you guys offer uh, those people, whether it's the homes that we would go into or it's the cormorant fishermen, are they mm-hmm. paid any fee for, you know, for the trouble that they're, that they're going through, if you want to call it that? Yeah, well, the cormorant fishermen for sure, because um, they would have to leave their homes three or two thirty sometimes in the morning and go upstream and meet us to be photographed and of course yes they we pay them very well okay um and we've developed very good relationships they know that sometimes you know when the weather hasn't been good we've had to cancel last minute we still pay them because we understand that they've taken um you know our word that we will come and if we don't come then they'll lose that day's um money because uh, these common fishermen don't have any pension and um they often don't have very wealthy families at all because they were fishermen were the poorest of the poor. They were poorer than the um, farmers. So they don't really have a big house or anything that to fall back on or even land to till. So they have to earn their late keep even as an old person sometimes. So we are like their um, pension in a way. And they're very happy. They are like so, so proud that through their lives, they've been like um, looked down upon by people. And now photographers, they're fighting to take their photos almost sometimes. You know, (laughs) they're like so proud. They show out the pictures. They look, this photographer, this one. And, you know, they're just so, just happy to be photographed, really. That's awesome. So, Yeah. So I don't feel at all weird about paying them for their oh, time. Oh, no, no, no. They, 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 sh- they should be paid. I'm just wondering, you know, what it, what the expectation was. So it basically sounds like if I'm paying you to host this tour for me, when mm-hmm. I go and photograph this cormorant fisherman, I don't have to feel the need. I shouldn't feel the need that I need to give them a tip or pay them no. additionally, which no. may be the case for some of these cheaper tours. Yes, definitely. Sometimes it's not included. And uh, sometimes the raft trips are not included and they can be quite expensive um, because it's just one of those more popular things. So the sure. local government makes sure that it's well priced. Yeah, we include it all. And But sometimes people still feel happy to give an ex- uh, extra tip just because they thought it was so amazing. And that sure. goes directly to the fishermen, you know. That's all good. Uh, so, yeah, I think um, if my budget can handle it, I'm definitely down for that one day tour. And with what mm-hmm. we've talked about here, it just sounds delightful. My, I think my last question on that tour is, would I be the only one on that tour? Or is there going to be either other tours that will be operating at the same time? Maybe they have their own guide, mm-hmm. but they're, we're going to be shooting the same cormorant fishermen. Or is that fisherman going to be all mine? How, how does that get handled? Um, it, I designed the trip so that 
there's no overlapping okay. so that you would be on your own. Of course, I can't control if uh, sometimes very rarely there is a local man who may bring Chinese photographer to the area. Okay. Sure. Um, obviously, we don't own the riverside. So, right. but then there are several places where we would just go a little bit onto another shore and shoot there with our fishermen who okay. we have all to ourselves. And your guide is also um, is also equipped with the reasoning and the permission to change plans if need be. So sometimes there are uncontrollable things that happen, weather, and um, so they would know that they can do certain things to change the plan so that you would still be able to experience as much as you can, even even if the weather is not great. Excellent. Which can happen, you know. Of course, always, yeah. You know, you can't control that. Right. And knowing that, you know, we have a backup plan or two in, in place is definitely also a good peace of mind. Mm. And I think that's that's great. You know, usually my backup plan, if it rains, is to whip out the umbrella. So, <laughs> so to, yes, yeah, we so definitely that's... wait around. But sometimes it's just a deluge, you know, yeah. or a thunderstorm. Um, it's not a good idea to be by the river in a thunderstorm. So right. in those cases, sometimes we have to pull the plug. But yeah, we always always try because um, if it at all is possible, because often you get the best mist and the best uh, looking photo. Um, when it's really bad weather, because you can get the breaks, especially in Guilin, where they um, sometimes in the rainy season, there's just thunderstorm, it passes, and then you get the mist rising from the, yes. from the forest, and it's amazing. That, oh. So you, you do have to wait and, and see. Um, and that's where the um, umbrella comes in handy. Right. We, we bring up, we bring very, very big umbrellas with us always, you know, All so right. that you're covered. Very good. That sounds good. Well, I think we've pretty much covered everything. Is there anything else that you'd like to to add before we wrap this up? Mm, no, I would just say that welcome to anyone who comes to Guilin and uh, anywhere else in China. China is an amazing country and has a lot to offer. And uh, yeah, just a safe trip. Thank you very much. And listeners, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it and would love to have you hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so. And uh, certainly tell a friend. What I'd like to do is maybe challenge you once a month, tell, tell a different friend about this show so we can uh, spread the word not only about this particular topic, but any of these other topics that we're covering here. So thank you very much. And until next time, happy shooting. <laughs>